to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here's your host, David Shong. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, brought to you by Ranger Boats. Powered by Mercury Marine with Reliant Lithium Batteries providing the juice. I am David Shong, and this week the original AC Insider Kenneth Grover is gone, but back for week number two is Danny. Uh, welcome back to the show, Danny. How are you this week? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me, David. Love joining in. Looking forward to talking to Tyler tonight. Uh, things are good. It's spring, it's warm, and uh, fishing season's in full swing here in the Midwest. So, heck yeah, man. We're ready. Yeah, hopefully, I know, like, you know, we've had like, you know, tornadoes, not to joke around that type of stuff, but I know it's typical spring season, but uh, I know everyone's kind of uh, getting, uh, you know, I guess with the weather, the things blooming, it's just a sign that bass fishing is starting to pick up. But as you mentioned, Danny, we got a special guest this week lined up. It's the winner of the first Elite Series event and of this year and your current Angler of the Year leader, Mr. Tyler Rovette. Tyler, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going. Uh, I know that you're you're probably ready to get get, uh, get back on the road and just uh, get the rest of the season going. Am I correct with that? Oh yeah. I'm, I mean, I wish we didn't have any breaks whenever you're kind of <laughs> you're on a roll. You kind of want to just keep going, you know? Yeah. Tyler, it's Danny. Did you run back home then? Are you laid up at home, or did you stay out east and do some fishing, or what, what's been your plan during the downtime since the classic? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm back home now. Um, I'll probably go pre-fishing Sabine River before I leave to go up to South Carolina because by the time we uh, fish the South Carolina tournaments, it'll be off limits to pre-fish. So I'm going to just go make a run. I mean, that's one of my favorite places to fish is just because it's tough and it's kind of similar to the area I fish at my house. So uh, that's, that's awesome. basically the closest I can get to my house too. So yeah, even though it's still almost three, three and a half, four hours away. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about the geography of that, but um, I bet you're one of the first people to say, I really looking forward to the Sabine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's why they like me over there. <laughs> well, no, you know, I get it. I'm a river rat too. I love them. And, and once it's in your blood, man, it's in your blood. But yeah, that, that one caught me off guard that you were heading that way to do that, but I totally get it. And so, uh, you know, kind of leads me to my question. What what are you looking at on the schedule thinking looks pretty juicy for you still? Obviously that one. That's yeah, I'd say Sabine River, and then um, I, maybe, uh, I don't know, watching all these guys fish Murray right now, it's making me kind of <laughs> excited to go over there, and it looks like a fun place to fish. Like, they're catching fish left and right, so uh, hopefully it's going to be like that for us, but I know everything can be hammered by then, but then other than that, like St. Lawrence River, I know it's a, it's always got me, you know, I think I'm 0 for 4 for cuts over there, but every time I've gotten better and better over there. It's just like last year I had right at 40 pounds and I was in 61st place. So, uh, wow. it's a fun place to fish. Just, uh, it's tough tournament fishing because you can't have anything under four, four and a half pounds. Now it seems like. Well, I guess winds can come from anywhere and surprise a fellow, right? We've seen that at the first one of the year. Tell us a little bit about it, man. Did you see it coming? I'm guessing no. Yeah, no, not really. Um, when, uh, when it when I turned well, the practice day was there, it was kind of just a, um, I found them 
crappie fishing for the most part, sockeye fishing, and uh, we were just getting out the wind. You know, it was bad on that lake, like 30-mile-an-hour winds. And uh, I just, you couldn't do anything, so I just went in the river and was just messing around. It was kind of later in the day when I found that spot. Uh, I just turned the live scope on and was catching a few. Probably had about 20, 30, about 20, I'd say, sockeye in the live well and uh, had dinner, basically, and uh, turned up there, looked shallow on these hard spots, and you could see fish swimming up there, and I'm like, damn, I'm pretty sure it's bass. So first cast up there, caught like a six-pounder on a jerk wow. bait, and then uh, went down a little ways, like not far, about 30, 40 feet, and saw some more and threw up there and caught about a four and a half or so. So uh, I was like, okay, well, something's strange about this. Uh, I kept going, making my way up the river, and then I found like the – the mega school of them. I was sitting on that point where I fished almost every day for the tournament, and that's where I caught them. And uh, I kind of, I kind of thought still it was a fluke. It was just the the day of the uh, like for practice. It was just like I said, windy. I just thought it was just the conditions. Like it was just it wasn't going to play out for the tournament. But I was like, of course I'm going to go up there and try it just because it's right there. And sure enough, I go up there for the tournament, and it was <laughs> it was there. <laughs> All to yourself, I guess. Oh, yeah. Nobody <laughs> around. They all thought you were probably going the wrong way. They said, poor guy's going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Did you think that that, yeah. pattern, that that pattern would hold up for all four days? Um, actually, yes. I thought so. I thought... Uh, thought it would um just mainly because uh one i was by myself and then two uh two it was just like there was just fish everywhere everywhere i looked like just on the live scope you'd see them here you'd see them there and it, it was just like just i felt like i couldn't catch them all wow so Looking at since we're on Okeechobee here, I know you start the first two days off with pretty good bags. You have twenty four five on the first day, puts you in the third. Twenty nine two uh, on day two, puts you in the second. But on day three, you catch fourteen eleven. Did that? Did that create any like cause for concern for you at all, or was it just, or were you sure that you know it, it would still things would just play out and it was just that that the third day wait was just more of a fluke? Um. Yeah, I think it was more of like the fluke. I honestly thought the third day is my day to move up. Like I thought everybody in the lake would have like a hard time catching them. It was just windy, windy, and it was kind of similar to practice. That's why I thought I really would catch them. And uh, it was honestly just the wrong wind. It was a uh, it was like a east southeast wind more like or uh, northeast kind of in that just that east wind was a bad wind for the spot I was fishing. Uh, it was pushing me on to the fish, and I, it was hard to stay off of it. But, uh, no, I was able to survive that day, and luckily everybody else kind of struggled, you know, besides I think uh, um, Steve Kennedy kind of caught him. And so that was like my one big concern. And then Cobb just was always catching the big ones. So it was just going into that final day. I was like, man, if I'm going to catch him, I need to do it the third day and make my move. But – uh, I guess it, everything happened right, and going into the final day, I knew the weather was going to be exactly like the first two days, so I was like, I, I think I could do it. I, I knew I had a big chance to maybe seal the deal. Well, we know it's Florida, so anything can happen. As you said, you know, you've had a 
pretty big bags the first two days there too. But you only have eighteen thirteen, uh, and you know you still you know, still was a, you're they weigh in reverse order, so you're you still got two guys ahead of you. Uh, did you think that you had it won with eighteen thirteen, or you know, or were you content with saying you know what? I caught a decent bag, but I'm pretty sure these uh, one of the, you know was it whether it's Cobb or um, Steve would have had it. Yeah, um, the only reason I kind of knew something was up was just because of how everybody was acting on <laughs> scenes, and then <laughs> it was hard to hide it. I guess that I was going to win. Um, I didn't look at Bass Track whenever we checked in or anything like normally, like you look. But I was just like, dude, I'm not looking. I was telling uh, Brian, the camera guy, I'm like, I don't want to look. I don't want to know. I was like, I just got that weird gut feeling that I need one more. I need it one more four pounder. I need it to be like around twenty one, and uh, it, it, it was crazy. But everybody I kept talking to, like, oh, good job, man, good job, you did good. And I'm like, man, you're gonna stop talking to me. <laughs> so, but no, it, it was crazy. the coolest part was just weighing in the Steve right next to Steve Kennedy for him to weigh in, and uh, you know, it's a guy I looked up to my whole life watching fish, and I've brought my boat to many classics just to uh, ride around and follow people and steve would be one of them mm. he's just a funny guy to watch you know he's just goofy on the water <laughs> <laughs> now what was uh, with with okeechobee what was your experience with history then you know because obviously you picked a kind of a, a a pattern that no one else was thinking about so you know what was, what was your experience and history in Okeechobee, and what was your initial approach prior to finding this this uh, crappie spot? So um, when I we went pre-fish it, and we uh, me and Brock, and we were able to kind of find a few areas, just like uh, just in case spots, kind of. And uh, honestly, we never even got to go there. We went there for the official practice, and uh, in Taylor's Creek. Um, yeah, I think it's Taylor's and basically all the canals. If you locked into the canals, you could catch like anywhere from, uh, like 14 easily to possibly over 20. Um, it, it, it had to be the right conditions. Like if a cold front came through, like you were able to catch them still in the canals for some reason, it was weird. And uh, I guess it just didn't affect them as much in there. So, um, that was one of my main backup plans just because like, I really wasn't on much of anything in the lake. I had like three or four spots. And then, uh, honestly, uh, Brad Watley was at one of my main spots I was going to head to if that river deal didn't work out. And he, uh, he ended up, I think top 20. So, uh, uh, good to know that they were there still, but <laughs> other than that, yeah, it's just like, just living on the river, hoping for everything. And, um, Honestly, like I was, it was pretty cool watching the uh, GoPro video earlier of uh, the first day. I ran up the river. I had two for about three pounds, and I was about to leave that spot. And I was like, you know what? Let me go run back up there real quick, like about 500 yards up, and let me go hit that little spot again just in case. And like my second cast, I caught the six pounder, and then uh, the next cast after that, I caught like a five pounder, and then I had about 15 pounds. And I'm like, all right, well. I'm going to just stay here the rest of the day. And sure enough, that's the, that was the tournament win right there. <laughs> Tyler, you hit on, you know, being a fan of the sport, following Steve, that kind of stuff. And um, kind of looking back through your biography over on Bassmaster and stuff, I see where you were a, a founding member of Nichols State University. So this is something that's been in your blood from, I'm, I'm assuming, a real early age. Tell us a little bit about the path from starting to being an elite series champ 
Uh, obviously, someone yeah. you, know, you became a fan. I bet the story's cool. I'd like to hear it. Yeah. So, I mean, it was before college and every just, you know, I'm in South Louisiana. We literally, you either hunting or you fishing. There's nothing else to do down here. We got one red light in my town. And, and, uh, I mean, it's actually growing pretty big. I think we got two red lights now, but, uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just all we do. It's just a Southern Louisiana deal. Like everybody hunts, everybody fishes here. It's just, I've been doing it since I was a kid. I'd get in a P-Rog. And I'd get in the bayou and I'd go down fishing all day, get there. If I come back from school, I'd get out of middle school, I'd get a, get on a four-wheeler and take my little go down a little mud boat and go back into the lake. Uh, I lived right in front of the lake. It's not a big, it's just like a little shallow water deal and it's called Lake Buff. And that's basically where I learned everything, just going out there from being a kid every day. And I was literally in the woods. So I was never inside. I was just always fishing. I was doing something. And then growing up, like when I was in the high school, they didn't really have the high school fishing yet. So, uh, right when I got into college, I started the Nichols bass team and that kind of helped me. That kind of helped me with, uh, just traveling and fishing, you know, cause all I knew was South Louisiana, 65 pound braid on everything. Like there's no such thing as fluorocarbon out here with dirty water, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the college fishing just helped so much just because, um, it helped me realize like there's a lot more efficient than South Louisiana and there's just totally different techniques that I've never used before. So, uh, it, that's the main reason, like I'm where I'm at today is just cause of college fishing and using, uh, like just all those new techniques and just learning from all my buddies I made friends with in, uh, in college. And I mean, from college, I uh, fished the opens my last two years at a college, uh, deal and my last year of college, I qualified for it. Uh, elite series in 18. Oh, I guess I missed that connection. So you were still, in, you were a college angler fishing the opens and transitioned out of the opens straight into the elite series after college. I'm totally missed that. Congratulations. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So that's my year. The, the year I graduated is the year I qualified. So it kind of worked out perfectly. So I got my backup plan from college now. <laughs> well, no, I saw that and, and I had to laugh. We were actually David and some of us, we were having some lunches or dinners at the classic talking about, people's background and people who fish. And, and I told David, it's, it, you know, it just surprises me that the personalities that are coming into the space. And I see here that we're talking to uh, what was a petroleum technology. So obviously you had a plan B that you hope to never use it. Do I have that right? That's right. I hope to never use it, but <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was kind of my deal. Like if I didn't qualify that year, getting out of college, I was probably just going to go offshore and just do like everybody else down here and, I guess the Lord blessed me with being able to qualify and and here we are today. <laughs> it's just crazy actually sitting down like thinking of it now. It is. And that was the thing, you know, my wife Holly and I are involved in all kinds of fishing things. And she brought up last night, uh, we started talking about, you know, the open EQ format, what they're doing there. And, and our conversation drifted to something that I thought you'd be the perfect guy to address. And so you got to do it in college. And, and even though you learned a lot in college, I would have to think, it didn't really prepare you for the elites. Right. And so, no, <laughs> as we look through, yeah, you know, the open EQ aspect of it, and they're talking about making a better angler and, and making somebody prepared, you know, you, I don't know what the statistics would be of somebody who to graduate from college and have an elite invitation, but it's an anomaly, right? So for the rest of the guys and somebody who's been there, what's your thoughts on, 
college to open EQs to the elite series? Are we building a better path or are we making it more complicated? Oh, yeah. I think, I think now, honestly, just, I know it's tougher for this, the guy, the blue collar guy that wants to just to fish the three and make it. I wish we could, I wish they would change it kind of in a way that even if you do fish like the one division, if you can only do three, cause I mean, it's pretty hard to take off for nine, 10 weeks of work. Right. Um, so it's just harder for more people like that. Like that's actually got a family already and just that don't have the connections to be able to qualify. But I think, I think with, uh, with the nine opens, like everybody has to fish nine opens. It gets you more prepared for the elite series because some guys, you know, like you fish a central division and most of the years it'd be like a red river, Arkansas river. And then like another shallow water chocolate lake and, that guy will make it into the elite series and then come to find out like it's a small three small mile tournaments and then a Florida tournament or a South Carolina Lake, just total opposite of what they've ever fished. And they get there and they never know what to do with it. And now I think, uh, I think now with the new way to opens are, it's like you have to fish that to qualify. So it kind of builds you, uh, makes you kind of like a stronger angler before you're into the elite series. And it kind of prepares you for what's going to come, you know? And uh, oh. just with the payments and just the the money coming out, and then you'd leave in your family, you know, for half a year for the most part. Right. And that was kind of the point that I hit on when we were talking about it at home. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, we just got done watching college basketball national championships. Um, college is a way to prepare these guys for professional competition, right? You're not going to college and, and doing it really well just so you can play in a pickup game and, and make some money at the YMCA. And our fishing system was oh, kind yeah. of, you know, our, our fishing system was kind of fragmented that way, where you could jump, you could jump some steps. And it seems like now they're they're closing some of that down to where we're we're actually grooming professionals. And um, yeah, I get your point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the blue collar guy that couldn't get nine weeks off to do it, um, but I'm sure the yeah. quality of people coming in, they're going to be ready. And I'm thinking, if I were a competitor, I would think that you've got to be thinking that the it's going to be harder to stay on the tour over time. Right. I mean, surely those guys will be more qualified as they roll in. Oh yeah. I mean, it's always crazy, but at the same time, we just got to like keep it up on our end and do what we need to do to survive in the elite series and cut checks and make the cuts. But no, it's, that's what I've said every time, like right when I qualified and just in college, I said, I think one day to all the elite series, like, everybody in the elite series is basically just going to be college graduates just because they're that good. And they're just and they're like, they're just, they got so much experience nowadays, you know, they could fish five years straight on the school's expenses. So mm-hmm. it helps out a lot for that part. But yeah. And I mean, I think half of the people in the opens right now is from college. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's going to be like that for sure. It's definitely been one of the more successful recruitment tools I've seen in fishing in the past 25 years in terms of, I'm like you, I came up, we didn't have high school fishing. Um, I had a bass on my class ring, but, uh, you know, the programs didn't exist. And to see to go from no programs to, to college to, you know, you making that point, half the open fields are going to have a, a college pedigree. That, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you you hit on the competition change and you hit on cash and checks. David, and prior to the call, we were talking about the AOI aspect. Um, I know we're only at the beginning of the season, but sitting in that pole position on AOI, does it change how you fish going forward? Um, you know, I'm going to just do what I normally do every tournament. Just go out there, fish the same way, and uh, 
hopefully it works out. You know, I've never been to Mary, um, so I'm kind of excited to go and uh, kind of like a deal. Like I'm, I'm just a big jerk leader now. You know, just I fell in love with it, and I think it's going to play out with that, with the with the hair and lakes, and uh, hopefully it works out. And Santee Cooper's kind of, you know, I think I made the cut. Uh, I made the cut last year, and I think the year before, I can't remember, but um, it's a fun lake. It's a shallow lake, flipping. They should be spawning, or post, I mean, they should be post spawning, and should be like a top water deal. And that's normally one of my favorite things to do is to start flipping and frogging. So I think it'll be fun for those two, and then the rest of the season they got Lay Lake. I've um, never been there, but it's similar kind of shallow water deal. It's going to be post spawn, and then you got. Uh, Sabine River, which I kind of look like I said earlier, I look kind of forward to the most just because it's it's a tough fishery and nobody really likes it. And I'm one of the guys that do like it, so I already have an advantage going there. You know, oh, that makes a huge difference. We talk about that here on the Ohio all the time. You know, nine out of ten guys when they launch their boat, they're kind of already beat. So they've already decided this place sucks, and I'm not going to catch any. Right. So the guy that shows right. up and looking forward to it, that guy's got a huge advantage right out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I'm a def, that's, I know a lot about the Sabine River. And then, uh, actually, my girlfriend's from, I met her in Orange last time we were there. So, uh, her family, everybody's from Orange. So, I'm going to be heading over there. Honestly, I haven't put in the time like I thought I would over there just on the off time. But uh, that's why I'm trying to go right before I leave for Murray to kind of do what I can over there, just learn as much more as I can with that place. So what what's your gut telling you right now? Long boat ride and short fishing or long fishing and short boat ride? Every time I've been there, I've made the cut knock on wood and I've literally not burned. I I probably haven't drove, I'd say, longer than 15, 20 minutes <laughs> at the most. So so I'm I'm kinda that's what I'm doing when I go over there uh next weekend or this weekend, whatever it is. Uh I just want to kinda spread myself out and actually look for more stuff. Cause I literally know, like, I think last time we were there for the elite series, I practiced one day out the three days we could fish just because I know it was a tough fishery and it was pointless going out there and hooking stuff when I knew exactly where I was going to fish. And sure enough, I, uh, top 20 out the same spot. So, and David, so I know that, I have that in my pocket. And David, that is tournament strategy one oh one where I live <laughs> compared to where you live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, the Mississippi River is the closest thing to a river, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's still probably not as. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's still probably more, way yeah. more, ten times more fun at least at that, on its worst day than the Ohio River and possibly the Sabine. Oh river. yeah, I love that place. That place, Love Cross, was loved, that was a fun fishery. I wish I could fish there every day. Honestly, is it just like it just reminded me what it reminded me what South Louisiana used to be like, you know, it, <laughs> it sucks down here now. And we didn't have the smallmouth, of course. So that's pretty fun catching smallmouth on a frog in top water, uh, in the middle of summer. So, mm-hmm. yeah, David, yeah. every river rat is envious of the, of your upper <laughs> pools of the Mississippi river, man. That's like a river rats paradise. I love it up there. That is. Uh, it's fun. You know, you jump in sandbars, getting in these little backwaters, you know, like I'm kind of sketching. I just, think i just put myself back down here i'm like what would i do here i'm like all right let's trim up and go get back in there and i I know it probably drop off sooner or later hopefully (laughs) well you mentioned smallmouth and i know that uh you end the seat the rest of the season on smallmouth bodies of water and just deep clear stuff 
the how are you on those type of bodies of water is, is it something that you're still having a hard time trying to grasp because it's completely different from what you grew up with in louisiana there i think yeah that's the one thing i love catching them like they're fun they're super fun to catch and i mean i love the tar- uh, tournaments just because you actually catching fish for practice you're actually having fun for practice for most of them like uh champlain and that so uh I, I do look forward to them, but at the same time, it's just that mental deal where I don't know what to do when they do move because mm. they move so much. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those, I just need to learn more. And I, you know, you never get the time to go pre-fish for smallmouth because you're, it's 25 hours away. Does the and, weather, um, sorry, does, does, does the weather, you know, cause I know with a lot of smallmouth, a lot of times it's you're way offshore, the winds can really, really mess up. You know, does, is that something that also plays in, into your strategizing with uh, these smallmouth events, or does that does that bother you at all? No, I mean, I really, uh, I hate the wind. <laughs> like that wind is like, I, I'm just not a wind fisherman because uh, just everywhere I'm at, like I just never position my boat right. It just blows me on top. I'm like always cursing at the wind. <laughs> and then whenever I don't have the wind, I'm like, damn, I wish we had a little bit of it. But uh, <laughs> no, like I'm, that is one thing though. Like the only experience with all the big waves and the rough lakes over here is uh, that we have the Gulf of Mexico right here. And I used to guide offshore for five years before I got onto the elite series. So I'm used to the big waves, but I'm normally in a 40 foot boat, not a 20 foot boat. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it makes a big difference but uh, just from the last couple of years i know how to ride those those big waves and get out in that lake and uh i mean it, it ain't fun but you got to do what you got to do to make it now so uh like i said i just look forward to going to them i just wish i'd have that right luck you know every tournament i've had i've been on the right fish and just something crazy happened just like like at uh st lawrence river last year it took 40 pounds to make the cut so uh it's <laughs> i mean it's no nobody expected that you know it I, we were going for like 36 you know it's normally about 18 a day to make the cut there 34 to 36 and it was almost six pounds more than that so uh that was just something you couldn't do anything you just pat like just clap your hands and pat your back and be like well you did what you needed to do just they did everything better you know but uh Hopefully it's not like that whenever we go back this year. I just wish we'd change it up, you know. We go back to the same stuff over and over again <laughs> up there. So I'm sure there's a ton of places. Like they haven't been to Malax in a while and honestly loved Malax when I was there last time. I went for college. And it was pretty fun. Like <laughs> you know, it that was before they have live scope and everything. We just had a two D in the front and we just go over a rock and you drop down and you catch two six pounders and first time we ever smallmouth fished. Wow. So how comfortable are you with the spinning rod then? Because a lot of guys, I mean, you're younger, so I'm assuming, you know, uh, the, young, the, the typical the younger guys are probably a little bit more adaptable. But then, but then again, you're from Louisiana, you're probably used to a big flipping stick, you know, like you mentioned, sixty five pound braid or even heavier, and you know, straight shank flipping uh-huh. hook. So, but how comfortable are you with the spinning rod setup? I, I mean, I love spinning rods. It's it's basically how I catch my cyclone uh, out here and. Uh, I'm a big, I could use, I could throw a wacky worm all day. It's fun. You know, it's, it's slow, but uh, I've caught plenty of fish on the wacky worm and it saved my butt a ton of time. So I got plenty of confidence in that with a uh, spinning rod. And then of course with drop shot. And, uh, when I was kind of learning how to fish, uh, the closest lake I had to me is about four hours away at Toledo Bend. 
And uh, we drive up there every weekend. I'd be up there, and the main bait up there was a drop shot. So I kind of learned from then, and uh, it helped me out a lot. So I just used those same techniques, and of course, I've got a little better at it. But it's just the uh, you know, it's just the luck up on that big school. I could catch the three three and a half pound smallmouth all day. <laughs> It's just always trying to get that four pounder over there, that the ones you need at St. Lawrence. So I want to just since we're still talking about the twenty three uh, twenty twenty three season, excuse me. Uh, I want to travel back just a few weeks ago because uh, we talked about you know Okeechobee, which you had a win on. You follow that up with a third place finish on Seminole, but you take a few weeks break and then you go to the Tennessee River side of the twenty twenty three Bassmaster Classic. Um, Mm-hmm. I think in 2021, if I my notes are correct, I think you finished 20, I mean, 71st there. But going to the classic, because yeah. this is your second classic, and I guess your second in a row as well. Um, how much did that 2021 Elite Series event play into your strategizing for the the classic this year? Uh, I think I actually used some of the spots I was fishing in the 2021 deal. Um, I was actually jerking back then. Oh, wow. Well, okay. It just honestly, I should have. I should have did good actually for that uh, 21 tournament. I just lost so many fish and that's what I've just gotten better at. You know, it's kind of trying to not lose those fish and it, it's key fish every time. So I've gotten better at that and I've gotten lucky this year at Okeechobee. I didn't lose a one fish all week. And that's normally how you win tournaments. If you, you can put every fish in the boat. And uh, so, yeah, that the Tennessee river always had my number though, just in my, I'd say Fort and loud just cause, I'm not a, I'm not a rock lake guy. I'm not okay. a, yeah, it's just, I'm more of a grass, you know, if they got to have grass or something involved, but it's just all through college, like Grand Lake always had my number, just any rocky lake area. I just need to get better at fishing. And, uh, I think I have, it's just now it's just gotta get, I have to get that like in my, actually to catch them when it counts. <laughs> Tyler, you hit on something there. You said you got better at it. You know, we've got a ton of grassroots anglers that listen and stuff, and I'm sure that was a process, but what was it? I mean, was it, was it as far as losing those key fish, do you think it was a mental thing that you had to overcome? Was it equipment changes? What, what was it that, what can we so, teach from uh, it? I, I think it's more of just like going out there and like not worrying about it. You no, know, just having fun with it and uh not stressing about it. like i'm pretty i was always good at that like if i lost a fish during a tournament i wasn't throwing around stuff breaking you know getting mad at stuff uh, i was just you know like oh well just pick up the rod and throw again and keep casting because that fish is pat in the past now it really can't help you anymore so um that was one deal that uh like i know it's one good thing it's just like i don't get mad at myself control what you can control and and then with the fish losing, like, I just make sure all my stuff's right. You know, with jerk baits, like I'll have a, uh, I'll have the owner stinger hooks on there now. And I feel like my hookup ratio now is just way more than what it used to be when I was, wasn't really worried about changing hooks out, just, just the simple things. And now I kind of pay attention to that make sure all my hooks are sharp and, uh, trusting those owner stingers because they gave me my first win for sure. That's awesome. So it's, it's, you know, I could, Really, that just sounds like maturation as an angler, right? It's it's doing the little things right, and that comes with time, I think. So I guess that would be my advice to the listeners is pay attention to the little things. You heard it from Tyler himself that, you know, it made the difference between yeah. Uh, yeah. what could have been and what actually happened. That's right. I, mean, I was always the guy, you know, that just had the, the worn-out equipment, just the 
always breaking on the boat. Just I was always just putting stuff together, just winging it, and for the most part. And I, I guess I kind of came to realization that, like, you know, this is my job now, so I have to do a little better than that at it now if I want to keep doing good. So it's always just about fixing those things you can't control. I like it. I like it. I'm going to remember that the next time I'm out. I'm uh, I'm probably more of a haphazard scatterbrain when I'm out there, and I know it's cost me time and again. Um, you get excited just to be out there and don't do not do the prep on the front side, and it absolutely can bite you in the butt. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That and then just, you know, the main deal is just like I said, having fun with it. That's what I find. Like, for practice, I was going to catch soccer. And, <laughs> I mean, I don't know anybody, any other Elite Series guy that's out there trying to catch dinner for a practice for the Elite Series tournament. So. And I do it almost every tournament we can't we have a camp or, or a, a house at where I could cook. So and I just love catching them. And that's one thing that it kinda helps me out, you know, just it gets me back in my groove, you know, where I just if I'm not getting any bites and I see a little school of soccer lay or crappie, I'm I'm gonna throw my little tube jig down there and start catching them just to kinda have fun with it and then I'm right back in the game. Uh, my head's back right, you know, I had a little bit of fun, now I'm back working again. That's awesome. And then sometimes you can find a big school of bass like I did. <laughs> and get a six-figure check, right? That it can happen to anybody. <laughs> Congratulations. That's right. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank so, you. Thank you. So, Tyler, so what was it? You mentioned Grand, you know, uh, earlier, too, when you were, we were talking about the Classic there. Is that something? Not, not that you're not trying to make it the, the, the 2024 Classic, but um, are you – What's I guess what's what, are you planning somewhat for it? And if you are, because you said it's, it's had your number in the past. Uh, if you because I mean at this rate, it looks like you you uh, even though the season's still young, you might still be on pace to qualify for next year's classic based on your AOI standings. Uh, but yeah, tell us about Grand and if you do make it, what your strategy or approach will be compared to uh, years past. Yeah, that, that's right for sure. Like I didn't make it yet. It's still a young season there's still seven tournaments left so anything could happen um so i'm not putting myself in it for sure i'm still fishing like i need to make it like every cut and if i make the cut i'll try to win that tournament again but uh going into grand lake it's uh i've been there plenty of times and i've did good there i think maybe once or twice and uh it's just uh I, some reason i'm fishing different stuff every time and then i'll end up for the tournament fishing the exact same little stuff, uh, little deals that i do every tournament and it just costs me so uh i've never fished it that early in the year though um i'll just do my homework you know and watch the pre previous classics and uh you know one of my good buddies that runs up with us hank cherry knows a lot about that place and <laughs> uh so uh, we're definitely gonna hopefully learn a lot more about it and hopefully we have to worry about it meaning that i'm going to be fishing it next year and uh that would be awesome to be back in the classic again so uh i guess it don't really matter where that classic's at because all you need to think about is winning it so i'll figure out a way to right. figure out what i need to do over there and uh, i think it's a good jerk baiting lake whenever it is pre-spawn like that so hopefully that will play in my advantage Man, I got chills because you mentioned Hank and you mentioned jerk baits and you mentioned Grand. That had to be one of the most painful fish loses I've ever seen on camera. Oh man, it gave me chills. <laughs> just thinking about it just now. Yeah. Uh, boy, that was something. Man, but but it works out. I mean, look what happened to him. Oh yeah, right. Absolutely, it works. 
Yeah, he, he got it when he was ready to have it, and, and he's done an awesome job, been an awesome ambassador. I just, I'm a, I'm a bass geek, Tyler, so certain things stick out, and seeing him fall to his knees when that big one came off that jerk bait, ugh, just yuck. I couldn't imagine. Oh, man. I know, man. I just, like, that's what I was just expecting all day, every for that uh, Okeechobee tournament. I was just right. waiting for it. <laughs> I'm like, it's this, everything's going too perfectly. Something needs to happen. You know, like, right. I didn't lose, like I said, I didn't lose a one fish all week. I was like, it's bound to happen. Something's going to happen. And they just never did. Every you know, fish I caught was just hooked, hooked, like was not coming off. That's awesome. You know, almost every tournament, somebody loses something like that. And it has that moment. And we're talking about 2023 elite series. I, uh, when Joey lost the big one at event two, and you could just tell he was sure he had to have that one at home. You're watching it and you're like, dude, it's not a big deal. You're just, you know, I just, oh, I love live. Yeah. I love live and seeing it as it unfolds because I'm sure he felt about like Hank, but he was wrong, right? It didn't cost him. It is. Yeah. The funny part is uh, the one at Seminole when Joey, whenever we uh, checked in, I was talking to Joey and he didn't check that track or anything either, but I, I looked cause I knew I didn't have it. I had a bad day and I was messing with him. Uh, I pulled up to him. He's like, I was like, Hey man, you got him. He's like, how oh, about 18 or something? I'm like, damn. He's like, what you got? I was like, Oh, about 22. <laughs> cause I knew that's <laughs> like, I knew that'd be the number like make it close for him. And he was like, Oh no, really? I'm like, no nah, man, I ain't got him. <laughs> he started freaking out. <laughs> so you, no, that that was pretty cool that the way he did it, and I kind of figured it would be one live scope, and I just I was just doing it all week at Okeechobee. I was just I was tired of looking at that screen. And I was like, I just want to go have fun fishing, you know, pick up a flipping stick, do some shallow water fishing, and it ended up working out for me. Awesome, awesome. Well, since we're still talking about jerk baits, I mean, I, I'm you know I'm from Wisconsin. I love jerk baits. It should be well. I th my personal preference is the season for me. Hopefully, should start or the bite should start picking up shortly here. But whether it's sponsor yeah. or non-sponsor friendly, what are your three go-to jerk baits? Um, one for sure would be the um, the stunner, just because Hank's put me on that bait and. Uh, it's just what I've used every time I've been jerk bait now. And uh, luckily I'm with a bait company now that's just believes in everything I does with excite baits. And we're actually coming out with a jerk bait should be out in, uh, I'd say may at least. And it's just everything I wanted in a jerk bait now. And uh, they said, if you're going to be doing this jerk baiting deal now and you have faith <laughs> in it, we're going to have faith in you to make this jerk bait. And we're going to make something good and make it a winning bait too. So, That'd be the next one, just because I've been throwing it lately and around here, and I'm I'm loving that. But uh, other than that, I guess uh, in three, I'd probably say just like a mega bass, but definitely change the hooks out on them things. Okay. So with that, with, with uh, first question with that excite one, what makes it more different? Because every you know each jerk bait that I know that stunner, it's a I think it's a slow sinking uh, jerk bait more, at least out of the box. But what uh, what uh, makes this excite one a bit different? And then two, since you mentioned about changing the hooks on the mega bass one, what type of changes mm -hmm. are you talking about? Bigger, uh, you know, beefier hooks, you know, because that obviously changes. But then, but what what type of hooks are you talking about when you're changing it uh, on the mega bass there? So um, with the excite baits, we just got different sounds going. It we're still doing the prototypes of which one's going to be the exact one, 
And then we have the different, uh, the sync ratios as well. Like it, okay. we have some fast syncing ones and then we have some that are just kind of regular slow syncing. And uh, I've got, we kind of making it more like a, just cause nowadays if you jerk and you basically live scoping when you're jerking. Right. So, um, all these jerk baits, you know, normally get down about six, eight foot and you can never get to that, that 14 foot range, you know, just, you know, a little deeper at ledge fishing. And I think we're going to make it more toward that. Just okay. doing, making a jerkbait do what jerkbait stuff hasn't really got to yet. So I think that's what we're going to focus on and hopefully it can be a, and then with changing the hooks out, I always just uh, change out to the owner stingers. Even if it's a six odd or a four odd, but the fours are kind of bigger and it'll make it sink faster or deeper. And that's another trick I always use that uh, Kelly J actually taught me, uh, Kelly and Hank. So, I mean, I would have never thought about that if it wasn't for them. But, uh, yeah, they taught me everything about the jerk baiting. So that's basically how I know everything. I want, I, guess. To ask, I, want, I want to ask a quick question. River rat to river rat. When you, <laughs> when you, when you launch on a river, what's one thing that's always tied on? What are you flipping on a, on, at home? Uh, we, uh, year in and year out, we got a frog tied on down here. If it's January or if it's, or if it's June, it's, if you got mainly the two rods down here to win, is it, you're going to be frogging and punching. Gotcha. You keep those two rods in your hand all day. You'll win a tournament, every tournament down here. And that's what we did. Like back when I was allowed to fish the tournaments down here and stuff, (laughs) you'd have a punching rod and you'd have a frogging rod. If it was a team deal. The guy in the front of the boat was thrown out on the bank with a frog, and the other guy was punching the bank. And uh, that's my favorite too. What's yours? I want to hear this. <laughs> I'm a tube guy. Up here, we don't have the vegetation that you do. So shallow wood, laydowns, current, uh, tube, Texas rig, stupid rig, uh, some variation. Oh yeah. Ah uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't get to. My rivers aren't quite like yours in that regard. Uh, we don't have the thick grass. The only thing thick up here is Asian carp. And I guess I got you guys to thank for that too. So I'd like to send all those back South if I could. <laughs> I don't want them because they, they don't took all the grass out from here too. We, we basically left with just a, uh, the only grass vegetation I'd say we have is hyacinth. Right. Well, they got mud banks up yeah. here. So I hope they all starve before they get up to David and ruin the Mississippi. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? <laughs> That's right. I think they already started. <laughs> I, think, I think it was spotted up here. No, that well. They, they were. Yeah, so hopefully not, but, you know, they, I'm pretty sure they'll decimate it pretty quick with all the grass that's there. <laughs> well, from one river rat yeah. to another, Tyler, congratulations, man. I'm rooting for you this year. Anybody that's uh, looking forward to the Sabine has a very special place in my heart, <laughs> so you are my guy now. Thank you. <laughs> well, awesome. I hope you're right about it. <laughs> yeah, thanks, you know, thanks again, Tyler, for joining us. Hopefully, I know that... Uh, Besides the Sabine, but we'll see. You'll see like you, you, you're starting off this 23 season. I'm, I'm pretty sure way beyond what you were expecting, and I'm pretty sure it's welcome at this point. But definitely safe travels for the rest of this year. Uh, I guess we'll. I'll be tuning in to see how many times uh, you'll be taking out those guns out. You know those big biceps of yours as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be seeing them a lot this year. Well, we always try to talk to the winner, so I hope we get to talk to you a few more times this year, bud. Good luck out there. All right, that sounds good. I'll talk to y'all soon then. All right. All right. There you guys have it. The current leader 
of the Elite Series Angel of the Year race, Mr. Tyler Rivette. Uh, Danny, I know it seems like you were uh, trying to uh, leech some of that river rat information off uh, out of him. But are you surprised a bit by uh, you know such a young guy? Not, not not to take anything away from him, but a younger guy. Uh, you know, yeah, two events into the season, but a younger guy leading Angler of the Year so far. I, I'm not surprised by the younger factor. I mean, these guys coming out are so talented, and the the desire burns so hot, right? I mean, we're talking to the guy and you can just hear it. So the youth doesn't surprise me. What did surprise me was how little he had traveled and fished prior to deciding he wanted to do it more, right? Like I I know the college circuits, I know how much exposure you get and to go from a Southeastern Louisiana river rat to winning with a jerk bait on Okeechobee and looking forward to smallmouth events. Um, that's the part that's cool. You know, I think, I, I think I might have a little crush on him, man. What a cool dude. And, and, uh, uh, strictly in the fishing sense, you know what I mean? But to, yeah. to go from a small little town with one stoplight and uh, a family that fishes to elite series champion and, uh, you know, leading the AOY, I just, man, I love that story and down to yeah. earth and humble as could be. And dude, I'd share a boat with that guy anytime and love every minute of it. Yeah, definitely the, the 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 part that surprises me is just the um, I don't want to say inexperienced in a bad way because again it's it, it, he's so young and he's only been on so many different bodies of water, but for him to have had success and just be able to just kind of get things clicking for the most part, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of seasoned guys guys that are you know way older than he is that probably would would want to have the achievements that he's had in such a short period of time. No doubt. No doubt. I think it's a testament to passion and mind yeah. over matter, you know, and that yeah. kind of stuff. And man, I think that's probably one of the coolest thing about our sport. Uh, that's the part that gives me goosebumps anyways, is yeah. that um, all walks of life have been successful in it. Right. And yeah. if you want, if you want it and you're willing to make the sacrifices, I think that's what gets overlooked so much. You know, uh, there's a bunch of guys that say they want it, but when you give them the opportunity to do it and say, well, it means, leaving the fam for nine weeks and it means uh, instability and all the other things that come with doing it young to still want to go do that. Yeah. You know, that, that's heart, man. And that's, oh, I love it. I think that's so cool. Yeah. But I, I do agree that uh, inexperience, you know, like you said, it, it seems to have a negative connotation, but it's, it's just the reality of it, but it shows you that fish are fish. And if you fish your strengths, you can figure out, you know, a way to do well. And I think that's, what's so cool about our sport. You know, I think we talked on that shortly thereafter. My dad was in Okeechobee at the time that he won that event and uh, they went to the weigh-ins. They'd been out the week before fishing. And, you know, I was getting daily fishing reports down there. And I remember after day one, dad's like, yeah, some kid ran up the river and caught him live scoping on a jerk bait, you know, and he kind of snick, he snickered, right. Cause he'd been there for six weeks. And I'm like, have you went up there and looked around? He's like, well, no, you can't win up there doing that. You know, that's not, that's not the deal. And I remember saying, man, watch that guy because he probably doesn't have any company. And uh, I I don't know. I just think it was non-traditional and I think it was cool. I like it. Yeah. I think definitely uh, just to go add, add, uh, add on to that with the whole inexperience thing. And sometimes, you know, when you get seasoned, not that you get jaded, but you get so fixed in the way you approach certain scenarios, which, Again, there's nothing wrong with it because, you know, we come to those conclusions based on past experiences. But I guess with uh, a little bit of fresh perspective that that opens up, you know, uh, people's eyes to 
doing things a different way that they would have thought of, and especially in that case of jerk baiting up the river uh, on Okeechobee. Well, I mean, how many times do we have to see it now, right? I mean, we yeah. jerk baiting on Okeechobee. I'm trying to think. I think Seminole, everything was pretty well. No, that wasn't really normal either, right? We're live scoping on a shallow water fishery and catching bigs yeah. in deep water. And then we go to the classic and there's Gussie, who's in a tournament yeah. all, all to himself. You know, we've seen three tournaments, one in three non conventional ways so far this year. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's kind of showing us we don't know as much as we think we do. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I feel like I've read every Bassmaster cover to cover and, and they didn't tell me I should be doing these things yet. <laughs> Not on the front side. Right. So it's the angler that's doing it. And it's uh, it's just that desire to compete and win. And that's that's just so dang cool. Yeah. All right. So with that, me and uh, Danny, we're going to wrap up this segment of the show and we're going to come back for the final part. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop, convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you got to do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. From dawn to midday to dusk, the sun's rays dance across the water and the sparkling light beckons. The abundant shorelines invite you to play or sail or simply behold. This is where champions fish and families gather to unwind. It's Lake Hartwell and Anderson is the gateway to its wonders. Walk on a pier, float all day, and restore your soul in this beautiful oasis. Visit Anderson, South Carolina's bright spot. Discover more at visitanderson.com and visitlakehartwell.com. Welcome back to the final segment of the show brought to you by Coastal Sunglasses. Now bringing new hybrid frames for 2023 with the addition of the mainsail and Aledo frames. These new models feature the patented 580 lens technology and hydrolyte grips. These frames will make him or her look good on the water while setting the hook for or for a day on the beach. So make sure you check them out and order yourself a pair at CoastalDelMar.com. And then, uh, as usual, we're going to go over, for, uh, over a few of the results for, uh, that for events that happened over this past week. Excuse me. Uh, first one I've got on my list here is the Bassmaster College Series event that took place on Cherokee Lake. And that event was shortened uh, to one day due to weather that came through the area. And it seems like it's weather that's been going throughout uh, at least a good amount of the uh, sorry a good portion of the country here. But uh, winning that event with 17 pounds and four ounces from Monta the University of Montevallo, uh, the team of Peyton Harris and Dalton Head won on that uh, won that event there. The Fishers and Men National Team Championship. They fished out on Lake Hartwell, and I don't have the results there, but I'll definitely pull those up at a later date because it wasn't on their Facebook page, but maybe they updated their website since I've uh, pulled that up. But um, the Major League Fishing BFL Oki Division 
was uh, was out on the Arkansas River and winning that with 19 pounds was Brett Gavro. Govro. Sorry for butchering your name, but congratulations, Brett, there for the win there. And then uh, the Bass Champs North Division, they were on Cedar Creek and winning that with 2348 was a team of Robert Case Jr. and Morris McCutcheon. And then the last event I've got on the list here is the event that's currently taking place on Lake Murray, which is the Major League Fishing Bass Pro Tour event. And winning at least uh so as of, as we record this uh the winner of day of group a uh after two days of fishing is uh jonathan van dam and then let me let me pull it up here because i know that i gotta switch it up here but for leading group b um and they'll be fishing as you guys will listen to this on wednesday morning uh but leading group b after one day of fishing was nick labrun with 25 pounds and 10 ounces so nick labrun leading group a and fishing today uh wednesday uh uh but like i said uh winning or winning group a sorry am i, am I just sorry so let me reset back that so Winning Group A, after two days of fishing, Jonathan Van Dam with 41 pounds, 12 ounces. Fish, uh, leading uh, day one uh, out of Group B was Nick Lebrun with 25 pounds, 10 ounces, which they'll be fishing as we record this. I apologize for that, but it's a bit more confusing here. But um looks like it's a bed fishing. A lot of it's bed fishing for this particular event. So we'll see how that um, that lake plays out in a few weeks when the Elite Series uh, gets there for that event there. And then the upcoming schedules or upcoming events for this uh, coming weekend here, I've got the Wild West Bass Trail Southern California Teams event. They'll be out on Lake San Vicente. The um, ABA Division 72 Georgia Central uh, Division, they'll be out on Lake Okani. The the Coosa River Team Trail will be out on Neely Henry. The Formula, I'm sorry, the Fishers of Men, Florida Central Division. You'll be fishing the Harris Chain and the Cast. Uh, North Region will be out on Lake Texoma. And then we get to the news and notes section of the show here. Um, again, not many, uh, not much news, at least for this particular week, but just a few interesting things that happened. Uh, first one up I've got is Toyota Series Angler Todd Klein. He was named the honorary captain at one of the recent LA Clippers games. So that I thought was something cool. Um, and then Bass or Bassmaster awarded the humanitarian award to Robert Wall. So congratulations, Robert. And then the last thing I have here uh, for news is the registration for the Bassmaster High School Combine opens on April 18th. Um, and this year it takes place on Wheeler Lake. Uh, but it's one of the very few events for high school anglers to show off their skills, uh, to colleges that are, that have fishing programs that are, uh, that are giving out scholarships. So make sure that if you are interested, that you check out the Bassmaster website to get signed up for that. And then just to wrap up a few things here before we put it on the uh, trailer here, um, Danny, I know that uh, our first event together, our first time meeting in person together was at the Bassmaster Classic. And one thing that we 
got to see that happened at this year that debuted was the introduction of uh at least public introduction i'm not i guess it, it was a feature that was already there but i guess that was actually utilized was the hummingbird mega view and this technology works with any hummingbird unit that has hdmi output mm -hmm. and so it allowed pretty much all the viewers to be able to see what anglers that are using forward facing sonar in this case hummingbird units are, are able to see because in the past people have made the complaint that you know forward facing sonar events are kind of boring because mm -hmm. all you do is you see guys looking at screens and we don't get to know we don't really get to see what these guys are looking at so um danny do you think that this newer technology this changes implementation of mega view does it change your thoughts on forward facing sonar or even as a, as a viewer watching tournaments that uh, forward facing sonar is, is heavily utilized, especially like you mentioned, I think a good majority of the top tier events this year so far have pretty much been one using uh, primarily using forward facing sonar. Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, love it or hate it, it's here to stay. Right. So um, I think Humminbird and Bass did a great job of figuring out, how can we make it, you know, attractive content and make it to where it's still a, a teachable moment, a moment to showcase product? And I think they hit it out of the park with what they were doing, obviously, because, you know, I'm going to we joke with Tyler. We joke about me being a river rat and all that. But I'm going to I'm a I'm a, a uh, live scope technology adopter myself. And so I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm trying to understand it. Part of it, I think the hype sold me on it because it's like, well, I've got to have this now, right? And and I got it, but I, I immediately saw, wow, this is really powerful. But I struggle with some of the, what am I seeing? What am I looking for? What should my, you know, active fish that I can catch? How do they respond? And one thing that really jumped out with Gussie's win and that mega live, a couple different times when I would see him pan, I could see him pan across the ditch, the drop, and I could see how the fish was related to it, right? And seeing that brought me to the content and it brought me to a point where I felt engaged with it um, because now I'm learning. You know, it's not just a featureless bottom. It's not just a, a hash mark in the middle of the water column. I saw that fish was sitting 18 to 24 inches off the bottom on the edge of a contour. That made a lot of sense to me, right? And I also looked at it. The other thing that jumped out at me is his ability to understand what he's seeing. I would have potentially seen the same thing on the screen and not given it much consideration, but he had the confidence to know not only was that a bass, but that was a catchable bass and I'm going to work it and I'm going to get it. Right. So I do think it's an amazing teaching tool to have it. Um, I don't, I can't say that I'm thrilled. Uh, I would much rather watch uh, somebody like Tyler frogging, flipping, jerking them out of the grass and doing that kind of stuff. Sure. But I think it, I think if we've got a watch forward facing sonar, there's no better solution than what Humminbird's provided, you know. And I've been watching their uh, their Mega Live and the Target Lock features that they've rolled out this year, and um, that leapfrogs everything that I've learned with my own live scope situation. You know, in, as a river angler, I didn't like the idea of my transducer being mounted on my trolling motor because you spend so much time with your trolling motor dealing with current. And it's not necessarily where you're fishing. And so, you know, I put mine on, it, on its own individual pole that I can aim by hand. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is a this is a simple, effective way to get a feel for this. Now, obviously, there's 
live foot and a bunch of things you can do. But with Megalock, I mean, it's literally set it, forget it. And if you can back that up with a Minkota with Spotlock, um, I mean, you literally can just focus on the fish and the graph, which is just, I'm not saying I love it, but I'm saying it's amazing technology. And, and obviously that's a game changer for um, the people that want to do it, right? I mean, to be able to lock it on a target, tell your boat to stay put and tell your, stay, tell your transducer to stay on that, all you got to do is fish now. And that that's a big, big difference, man. Big difference. Yeah. Well, I know that I'm assuming for, especially for those people, you know, the fans that, that uh, aren't fans of forward facing sonar, I'm assuming a good amount of it is probably due to the fact that it's again, you know, an additional cost, you know, mm-hmm. um, not everyone that likes bass fishing fishes tournaments. So, so you know, for those that don't, it's, it's harder to justify, you know, you know, 15, you know, 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks to buy uh, a, a unit to have that, those features up front uh, on, on your boat. So do you think that this, with this introduction of mega view where people can see how the anglers are interpreting what they're seeing with the forward facing sonar, do you think that it'll convert, maybe not a lot, but start converting, converting some of those uh, people that were anti forward facing sonar, do you think? I don't think it's going to change the anti guy. Sure. But the guy that's sitting on the fence, uh, I definitely think it may make him jump to the, to the side of, of being a user versus a hater um, sure. because he can see the benefit of it. If you're, if, if you, if you're against it for any of the number of reasons I've heard, whether it be ethical or whatever, if you're against it for any of those reasons, seeing it, I don't think it's going to change that. If you're sure. sitting there thinking, do I need it? and you see it in action, it's going to convince you you need it for sure. In yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't think it'll change the people who say we shouldn't be doing it and we should ban and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know. We've been here before with technologies and this thing, this too shall pass, as they say. Yeah. Uh, it's just where do we go with resolution and, and how far, you know, HDMI outputs, right? That's, I remember it wasn't that long ago when a laptop with an HDMI output was a pretty big deal. <laughs> And now we're doing them on 12 and 15 inch fish finders. Right. So that's, that's mind boggling. You know, I guess my bigger concern on all that is, is do we start portraying our sport as a way, start portraying it in a way that you have to have these things to compete. And that concerns me, right. Uh, If Tyler or me as a, a rural river rat somewhere in middle America begins to get the impression that you can't, do those things without a big boat and without electronics and all that, do guys like us get discouraged and say, well, I'm going to do something else. I can't afford to play or I can't afford to compete. And I think that would be a tragedy, but that's not really a technology issue. That's more of a keeping up with the Joneses and and the latest and greatest stuff. You know, that that's probably my only concern about where we're at as an industry. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when I was in the boat industry, and boats cracked the thirty and forty thousand dollar mark. I thought we were making a huge mistake, right? And I said, "Man, we're pricing our guys out." And here we are, 10, 15 years later, and they're double and triple that. And people are still buying them, and they're still waiting lists. So, yep. um, I'm starting to lean towards I'm just too dang conservative. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, obviously, you you, you definitely have more um, experience, like, tournament experience, more than I do because I only fish like very like local club whatever type of stuff so nothing really big but even then i um 
a buddy that I fish team tournaments with here, there, like I've told him, he's a low rants guy by my hand. I think that, you know, I'm not saying you have to have it, but uh, as you've seen, uh, you know, because, you know, the easiest ones for us to see is is on the, whether it's the Elite Series or Bass Pro Tour, uh, seeing those guys, because, you know, that, that stuff that's broadcasted nationwide. And we've seen how much of a, you know, it, it might not be the, I guess it, it's it's a big contributing factor, you know, to helping you find those key fish or find things that you probably, you know, I guess, you know, besides being a more efficient angler, but it just definitely helps you to, um, it, it plays big, I guess, you know, because like he's, we talked about, you know, the events this year being one on uh, pretty much guys primarily using uh, forward facing sonar and, yeah, even uh, at the classic, I spoke with uh, Greg Hackney and he even he mentioned something to me about forward facing sonar and he was talking about like before in the past we would we would thought that you know we're we're throwing you know you know Greg's a shallow water guy but he's like yeah we're thinking they're all in the bank and you know eventually they're biting 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 and all of a sudden they stop biting and it's the first thought that comes to our mind is they're still there they're just not biting what I'm throwing anymore. But mm-hmm. then with forward-facing sonar, what that has revealed, at least to Greg and what he shared me, was that it's not that it, it kind of like threw that that thought out the window. It's not that they're not there any. Uh, yeah, it's not that it's not that they they're there and they're not biting. It's actually they moved away mm-hmm. from that spot, and now that the area that you were throwing to, you know, you're mm-hmm. maybe wasting time, or you know, you're you gotta reposition yourself to find that same group of fish that you were targeting shallow. So yeah, uh, we definitely, you know, as for the competitor, the competitive angler, it definitely helps us to grow. And I guess it kind of goes in hand in hand with that. Keeping up with the Joneses, it kind of goes in hand hand in hand with trying to be competitive as well, because, um, you know, without, you know, you want to be, in order to be competitive, you have to spend the money. Even if you don't, necessarily want to or or want to adopt that new technology but uh it's almost like you know uh, it's it's almost the the norm i guess in a way yeah you're at a disadvantage if you don't have it you know and one thought that comes out of what you're saying two things one the human mind is probably one of the best supercomputers out there yeah and and with technology uh you hit on a great point with greg we used to have to operate under assumptions, right? And you're yep. using assumptions when you're lacking data. So you're going down a bank, the fish quit biting, you make the assumption that the fish are there, I need to just make changes, I need to pass a different direction, I need to do whatever. Um, you're operating on an assumption, which we're, we're starting to learn is not a valid one. Mm-hmm. With the technology, you can turn it there, you can look and you can say, man, those suckers are gone, yep. right? So now you've got more data to feed into your computer. And your, your, your data says uh, fish have relocated. Your mind says, well, I bet they pulled out here or they pushed up there or they did whatever. Uh, LiveScope and, and all the technology, whatever forward-facing sonar, it, it gives you an additional stream of data to help with your decision-making. And when you talk about somebody like a, a Greg Hackney or a KVD or, well, any of the Strike King guys, right? I mean, they, they've proven themselves time and again. Um, those guys have a, a massive data set and they process way faster than Danny or David. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> but the, the, the technology allows them to do that. And, you yep. know, the one thing I'll say, I've got a, an experience I'll share with it. When I've got my forward facing sonar this fall, I pulled up on a little point on the, on, on the main river that almost always has fish on it. And I threw at it and I threw at it. And I threw at it. I couldn't get bit. And I'd kind of decided they weren't there. I wasn't running forward facing sonar at the time I left. 
And I thought, man, I, I need to go back. I need to go look at that and see, learn something, right? And I pull up there and I throw on it a few more times, nothing. I look at it on live sonar and clearly there's a lot of fish sitting on the backside of that point. Um, so I had made a bad assumption. So I was operating on bad data. Mm-hmm. And you know, long story short, I ended up switching baits and getting a deeper crankbait because I wasn't getting down to where I needed to where the fish were sitting. And come to find out, I found a glory hole for white bass, striped bass, and hybrids. <laughs> no largemouth, no smallmouth, but I got to watch every one of them eat them, mm-hmm. right? And, and I had made the assumption that there's no fish here, there's something going on, and that wasn't right. It's just they're deeper, and they're not eating the way that you expect them to, and you got to adjust. So if I was on a good fishery, those probably would have been, you know, brown bass or green bass, and I'd have had a ball. But mm-hmm. I, uh, without that technology, I would have just assumed they weren't there, and and I guess you know, the bass weren't, but the fish were, right? So I, I don't know. I think that's where its power is, is, is verification or, uh, you know, confirmation of what you're thinking. Yeah, I know. We'll see as hopefully, I don't know the, the, we'll see, how, I guess, you know, like you mentioned prices going up and typically as technology gets better, prices should go down, but we'll see. <laughs> I, I, we'll see how, how technology, um, not just for facing, but just just in general affects this, and if it ever makes it become even more accessible to uh, your more recreational, your more um, you know a non serious competitive angler. But um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see, especially with this, how the, how uh, bass if bass decides to continue to use this uh, on a more regular basis for their future events going forward. Because, um, but yeah, I think it'll definitely help. Um, because I think with any of us anglers, we we always try. And maybe it goes back to that predator side in us, you know, the the caveman or whatever you want to call it inside of us. But just trying to be, uh, just trying to be a step ahead of these these little green fish, green or brown fish, with the what the size, the brain, the size of a pea. I don't know if it's even. Yeah. And, and so, but you know, you know, we spend all this money to try to be at least hopefully a step or two ahead of these uh these fish but but yeah so we'll see i mean i'm i'm, I'm excited to see um how that all unfolds with bass uh bass live going forward and and if uh it'll if people still have the, the same negative effect or attitude towards it or if it'll start converting some people over just out of curiosity as a as a you know as a person just observing from the sidelines so yeah i think it's great and you know i, th- I think the most important point you mentioned technology gets cheaper it gets cheaper as it gets outdated and bass fishermen as a whole, they're not going to be interested in it. Right. Like the, <laughs> I run, I still run Humminbird 800 and 900 series uh, graphs. And if I wanted to sell those tomorrow for 50 bucks, I'm not sure anybody would buy them. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not sold. They're the old uh, 899s and nine whatevers. And uh, I love them to death, but nobody's interested in them. They want the, the latest and greatest. And fortunately for you and I, that drives an entire industry, right? Or we'd be unemployed and we wouldn't have anything to talk about. And so I, I'm grateful, man. I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you guys, yeah. David. And uh, I don't know, I'm a bass fishing geek and now I got a place to talk about it. So uh, super grateful, man. Yeah. All right. So thanks everyone for just hanging out with me and Danny today. It's that time of the, of the week where we put this show back on the trailer and pull call it a and get ready for the next derby here. So Again, thanks for just, again, supporting us. Make sure you please rate, review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. And make sure you support the sponsors that help support us to help make this show and everything English Channel happen. Uh, So until we uh, meet again for another podcast here, for Danny, we'll catch you on the next episode here. Thanks, guys.
Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.